Street Photography Magazine podcast, episode number 62, Shooting with Film with Andy Walmsley. Hello and welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. Today's guest is Andy Walmsley. He is a resident of the UK, an IT professional in the telephone systems industry, a street photographer, and a huge film enthusiast. He's also the host of the Photography Insights podcast. Andy began his photographic journey not long ago doing street photography with a digital camera. But as a very curious guy, he began to explore the world of film, and he became hooked. To say that he is enthusiastic about film and photography in general is a vast understatement. As I said, he's been on a journey ever since, and in the process, he created the Flogger blog, followed soon after by his podcast, Photography Insights, which can be found on his blog and just about any podcast directory available, most notably iTunes. Andy's enthusiasm and curiosity is infectious. Just listen to his podcast and you'll see for yourself. He's not afraid to reach out to anyone in the photo world, which is how we met first a couple of years ago. When Andy decided to start his photography podcast, he reached out to me for advice, and we've been in touch ever since. I've been wanting to get him on this podcast for quite a while, and I'm glad we finally did. So check it out for yourself by listening to our conversation. With me today is a guy I've been trying to get on for quite a while, Andy Walmsey. He is located in uh, in England in the town of London, uh, not London, I'm sorry, the town of Lincoln, the land of Lincoln. And uh, so Andy, is, uh, he's an IT guy. Uh, he's in the phone system business. He's created some pretty interesting things, which uh, help our industry. I won't go into it. But uh, Andy's also a big time film photographer, so we're going to going to talk about film today. But Andy, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for asking me, Bob. Yeah, it's the least I can do. I was on his podcast last year, probably about a year ago. So finally glad to get him on here. I see him all the time on Facebook. He's uh, you know, active in uh, Facebook. He's a member of our group. And uh, like I said, he's a film photographer, which we'll, we'll spend a lot of time talking about. So, But Andy, before we get too deep into this why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey in photography what um you know, how you got started and and how it led you to be a podcaster as well <laughs> yeah sure um it's it's a really strange one for me um i'm always fascinated by other people's stories here so mine always sounds quite mundane um i started just using a phone and then one day I went out and thought I actually quite like this photo started doing one or two more and then I thought um, I'll start working on a bridge camera and then I was getting uh, happy and happy with the results and I started posting to Instagram and I'd always write on there uh, what I was feeling about the shot and then all of a sudden uh, it just seemed to like click. Um, I quite like this. So I went out and got my DSLR, took some advice of a friend, 
because uh, at this point I didn't have any photography friends whatsoever, didn't know anything about photography, and I was 40 years old. So for me, it was a big thing. Um, and then from there, I just kept shooting. Within six months, I'd heard about something called film, and I bought a film camera, shot a couple of rolls, and um, the results were really good. And then sort of from there, I um, kept going digital. And then at some point, uh, I sort of decided I've had enough of digital and I'd really trying to go analog only. So that was sort of um, late last year. I did like a six month trial just doing um, film. And then I would say early this year is when I've tried to only do film. Um, but one of the things I noticed about the photography was um, the season cycle really affected the ability of what I could shoot. Now, my life changed at this point. My wife was unfortunately working at night, sort of thing. So I couldn't actually go out at night. So the only option there was uh, things like weekends, which was really cool. But I came across the idea of um, podcasting through uh, a really useful tool I found. And I started listening to people's podcasts. And I just thought one day, why don't I try it? So I really pushed myself because I wouldn't say I'm an outgoing person and... Um, I contacted this lady that you might know called Sarah from New York. And she was my very first guest. Never, ever used this technology before. Never done it before. And here I am, 65 episodes later. Wow. You picked a good one, Sarah Street. Yes. <laughs> and that was only because I loved her work so much because at the time I was prolific street shooter, I would say. Yeah, that's really something. Yeah, your podcast, by the way, we haven't even said the name of it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I renamed it uh, recently uh, to Photography Insights. Um, the idea being it's about people's photography, um, about what they do, what their stories are. Uh, and it's both analog and digital because, you know, um, as much as I'm passionate about analog, um, digital is a fantastic tool and there's lots of people out there who can produce amazing stuff. It really is amazing how many great photographers there are. It's unbelievable. But what I do like is people saying you can't do stuff on film um, because we've got the digital world now and they're the, they're the people I like to challenge. Yeah, and your podcast, I mean, you've, you've come a long way. When um, when I was on with you last year, you were using a, a different system. That's right. It, it's more of a, it was more of a like a captive system, I guess, um, yeah. fully hosted and all that. And I see you've, um, you've created a new website, uh, yeah. nice WordPress website, and you're now available on all the favorite distribution points, Apple, yeah. Google Play, Spotify, so you've really expanded, and it looks great. 
Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate it. Yeah, I do put a lot of time into it. Um, and I think I've learned so much about how to be more professional in that sense. Uh, and I take criticism on board. And I've tried to make the experience better for both ends, which, you know, I think is important, isn't it? When we first met, I think you reached out to me and asked me. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's good because at the end of the day, you don't want to copy anyone. Um, there are good tools for everyone to use. And I think, you know, the more people do it, the better, find a niche. And I think it's liberating. It can um, do amazing things for uh, meeting people like yourself. You know, we've, we've been in contact constantly for that year now, haven't we? So, mm-hmm. And I think confidence is a massive thing. Now, it, nothing worries me. Uh, recently, a friend of mine works at a local college, and he, he said, um, I'd like to get you to come in and do a chat about podcasting. And I just said, yeah. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't have a lot of time to do these sort of things, so I I just expect people to be professional, give me plenty of notice. I took a day off work for it. I prepared... A simple enough slideshow. I know how to talk to children, um, or young adults, should I say? Um, I've been in front, I've been in a classroom. Uh, it was my first job in IT, so I do know what it's about. And um, I tried to deliver something that was um, about everybody else, including your magazine. I think it's amazing what happens to anybody when they put themselves out there and they yeah. take take a leadership role in something and lead the way because most people are waiting around for someone else to tell them what's going on whatever it is and uh, but yeah you put yourself out there and you wind up meeting people and things start to happen that you would never even dream of yeah you know it can take you in different directions in life that would never have happened if you hadn't done it in the first place oh without a doubt i mean if I haven't have took up analog, I wouldn't have formed a good relationship with Kodak. And some some people who follow me might know that I have a really good relationship with Kodak Alaris in this country. And uh, so here's a here's an example. I'm running a competition next month with Kodak Alaris to win um, a good a good lot of roles of their own film. That sort of thing wouldn't happen if I had podcasted. Personally, I've started doing a series of photo projects that I that I call Something from Nothing. Oh, yeah. And so I'm doing photo stories about people who have created things from just ideas in their head. And yeah. Turn them into a business or whatever. That's cool. And as a matter of fact, my first article about that will be in, a, in our... Uh, December edition. I would have never even thought of that or had an opportunity to do it if I hadn't gone out with my camera one day to a local farmer's market. And I just met all these entrepreneurs. People have done these really cool things in our community. Yeah. And uh, it just, uh, I don't know, just lit me on fire. I think that's the thing that by us talking to other people, they leave something with us, I think. And what one of the people I always talk about is Quinn Jacobson. He's 
a historic process photographer. So he's basically shooting on Victorian equipment using Victorian processes. And the guys at the, the there is no one above him. He, he's like a world authority on it. He's done books and videos, and he's the loveliest man you could meet. And the one thing I got from our interview was um, intent. So shooting with intent, and it. It stayed with me since. Shoot with intent. And I guess when you're using equipment like that, you really have to. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, you, you might be spending 15 minutes setting up um, your camera in the position and checking your light. So you're not going to waste a shot on nothing. So um, I, I do think, like you say, it, it's obviously to do with the equipment. Um, but again shooting with intent has caused you to come up with this project speaking of using the victorian era equipment i well, i used to live in cleveland and we used to have a black and white film processor that's all they did mm-hmm. i went down to see them i went down to have them process some film for me and the guy brings out this glass plate negative oh uh, yeah that was made in the 1890s and it looked yeah. like it was made yesterday and he showed me a print made from it. It was looked like super high resolution. It was beautiful. <laughs> I had never seen anything like it. Yeah. Uh, because I do a webinar, you see, I was even able to see around his um, studio. Um, no, no one else saw it, just me. So, you know, it, it was a really nice little cool thing for me to see and um, see his huge a 10 by 8 camera yeah. is unbelievable to anyone who's only shoot straight. I mean, you won't believe how big it is, but that's only a small camera now. So we talk about putting yourself out there and, and things happen to you that you didn't expect. Other than your relationship with Kodak, what's been your biggest surprise? Going back in time, I think, and using film. I mean, there's, there's no way from my start with digital and buying a mirrorless, which I thought was the perfect street camera, you know, and I blogged about it, to then go into the most basic SLR camera from the 70s and 80s um, has been really, really surprising. And I think when I then started shooting medium format and doing that with Street, um, that probably shocked me that, that I could do it. And I think it shocked other people that I was using such a big piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. So I know uh, you interviewed um, Capital Faces, Matt Jerrams. Mm-hmm. And he's one that I'd interviewed. And um, I-, I was telling him, oh, I-, I use my Bronica on the streets. And he couldn't believe it. He's <laughs> like, Andy, you're crazy. It's heavy. And I was like, yeah, but it it's no heavier than probably Sarah using her big Canon. I went to the Miami Festival last year, and I met a few people mm-hmm. um, who were shooting with medium format on the street. One person who still does a lot is uh, Meryl Meisler, who we featured earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was shooting back in the 70s and the 80s, often with medium format. And, and she was carrying one around there. She's not a she's not a big woman. She's pretty small. She had this giant camera around her neck. I was hoping it wouldn't hurt her. You do have to be careful. I mean, I've dropped my... 
banged it against railings and the film backs come open on me twice. So that's not a nice experience because it exposed your film to light, you see. Quick cover it up and hopefully you only uh, had a problem on a couple of frames. So what are you shooting with? So you've got medium format? Yeah, Bronica ETRS. Um, so I shoot that uh, with a 50mm lens, which is probably about equivalent of a 28mm. I have a, a Olympus um, film SLR. And I basically only shoot one lens on that, 50mm. And then I have uh, Olympus Mirrorless, which I've had for years. And that's Ace for Street. I love the fact you can move the screen up and down a bit and tilt it. And you can zoom and that without people noticing. Um, I like that. But I think I'm a contradiction in itself because I say how much I can do with one lens. That's uh, a prime lens. But on a mirrorless, I quite like the uh, zoom. Honestly, it's, it's yeah, I do find I do that to myself a lot. Um, but again, I, I think like tools are technology. So if you got digital stuff, you, you're gonna use it, aren't you? Yeah, I have a Canon A1, which I really like. I don't use it as much as I as I'd like to. And yeah, I just keep a 50 on that as well. But you know, the digital files look so good. I, I used to poo-poo digital many years ago, and now yeah. that's about all I do. I'm lazy. What can I say? Well, I, I think that's the thing, and it, it is easy, and I, I think anyone's lying who says it isn't easy. I've took street photos on my phone before that I'm just as happy with. Yeah, so if somebody wants to get started with film, yeah, I mean, how do you recommend they, they do that? So I've, I've thought about this in the past, and I think... Um, some people in the Facebook forums were discussing this, and I think the best advice is actually to buy a camera that's capable of fully manual, like the Olympus, because they're dead cheap. Um, you'll never buy expensive lenses, but start on digital. And I would learn how to use aperture and shutter by fiddling with your digital, looking at the results, and then practice it on film. That way you have a good idea of what you're going to get. Yeah, you, you understand the basics then. So mm -hmm. adjust, adjust your shutter um, by two amounts, two stops, and then you'll see the difference straight away, and then that'll give you an idea for film. And I think the hardest thing is going to be learning to meter because I, I don't think using digital will ever help you. In my eyes. Now, do you recommend people use a, a handheld meter? I use my I use my eyes, mate. Yeah, I was, I was interviewing someone last night about this, and he's a large format photographer, and um, he says he can't use his eyes. And I said, you can. And I said, you, you've just got to train yourself. And I'm no master photographer in any shape or form. You know, I, I've been shooting um, less time than most people I know. And I've taught myself how to meter with my eyes, I don't know, in six months, probably. So what do you do? Do you start with, like, the Sunny 16 rule and yeah. then make adjustments from there? Yeah, just, just use that. And just remember, you, you've got to shoot for, uh, aim for your uh, shadows. Look for the darkest part that you see with your eyes. Or um, 
the best compromise is to use a mobile app. It's literally just an app, and it, it'll take a light reading, yeah, using your camera. Um, it's traditional layout, so it looks like you're the old-fashioned Goss and light meters. And what I often do is, if I'm only out for a couple of hours, I know there's only one thing I need to do, meter for the light and meter for the shadows. Mm-hmm. So I'll take a quick meter reading when I set off, and then that's it. I know if I'm going to move into the dark, I know I need to change the um, f-stop, maybe three, maybe two. And then, obviously, within an hour, if it's an afternoon, I know the light's dropping, I'll just click one stop. And I don't see what's any more complicated. It, It isn't hard. That's true. It's not. We've just become so used to having a machine make the decisions yeah. for us that we don't, don't do it. It's like using a GPS and then losing your sense of direction. Exactly. And I've, I did that through my job. I had to rely on a GPS in an app um, to track where I was going on my next job. So what's uh, what's the name of some of these apps? Uh, it's uh, I think if you just search for light meter. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the name of mine. It's, it's on my phone because... I do like using it for them times, so maybe if I'm doing a bit of uh, landscape, they do come in quite handy, because basically I I try shooting every form of photography I like at that time, so I need to make sure I can cope in any situation, which now includes shooting portraits with um, film. So, Andy, a while back you did something called a secret project. And since it's secret, maybe you don't want to talk about it. And if you don't, we won't. But, I, I mean, I took part in it, and I screwed it up. But um, what, what can you tell us about that? Okay, so it was the, I was hoping for a very interesting project. I was not disappointed. It was not successful. And that's okay. Yeah, but that that's life. Yes, uh, you know, I I do these things in the hope something happens, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. I meet great people through it, and obviously this one was about people I'd interacted before, like yourself, because um, I like I like the idea that I can get people out shooting film, and you know, there's lots of people like yourself that have done it in the past, isn't there? Oh yeah. What was quite funny was I was saying to my wife about it. Everybody failed by one person to read the instructions correctly. Yep. Uh, including myself. Oh, my God. Because I took four shots. We was only supposed to take three. Why don't you back up and tell us how it worked? Okay, sure. So the idea was uh, I sent this camera with filming uh, around the world to... Basically, I think it was eight people. And there was three set things they had to do. Uh, A first shot was a selfie. I think the second shot was a picture about them, where they live. And then the third shot was supposed to be about getting a stranger to shoot the camera. And I took four shots. I didn't get a stranger to take my shot which is basically because I was trying to get the project going. So I took my three shots and then um, 
basically I posted it off. Now, it went to New York, the lovely Sarah Street Media took uh, part, and uh, she did really well. Uh, there's some good pictures there. Uh, I believe it then went to Washington, mm-hmm. and Chris did really well. He's got some lovely photos. And then this bloke called Bob, who runs this magazine you might know, has got three pictures of his desk. <laughs> and I'll tell you how that happened. Tell me. I, I never read the directions <laughs> whenever I buy anything. So I got this camera. I think it was an Olympus OMD, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah. And I go, oh, wow. <laughs> Let me play with this. So I took a few quick shots, just checking the exposure. And then I read the directions and it said, only take three photos. Oh, my goodness. I blew it. I thought, you know, we would put film in it or whatever. You know, don't assume, right? Don't assume. Yeah. So that's what I did. But anyway, what I did do is I took it out in our community. We have a very historic community here. And I, and, uh, I did have, I had my camera and I had a stranger take my picture with your camera. I mean, holding your camera. And then I, I did it like the, uh, the gnome, the traveling gnome. And I okay. put it on different historical sites and took pictures of it at each historic site. Of course, with my camera. Yeah. And that went nowhere. And then I mailed it off to L.A. It was a lot of fun. That's right. So the interesting thing about the why it was called Secret was each person who was shooting knew nothing about who'd shot before them. They received a camera in a box with some pieces of paper to some YouTube videos. And they had to enter a password. So the the idea was I didn't want people um, putting it online and showing others, which, which actually worked really well. But when it got to LA, we hit a massive problem. Its next place to go was Romania. So uh, another excellent street photographer over there. Uh, really, really looking forward to shooting the guy was. And gave me his address. We checked it. And Paul in L.A. sent it across about four or five months later. It still hadn't come back. And um, eventually we got some. uh, Paul got the camera back during the fires in L.A. He had to leave his house because the fires were so bad. When he got back, my camera was sat on his porch. Now, what we thought is, how come UPS got through when they was all um, kicked out of their houses due to fires? They get the job done, I guess. Yeah, we couldn't believe it. So, but the story didn't even end there. So, he then, I then said, look, um, let's forget about Romania. Send it back to me and I'll post it. Because uh, the guy in Romania is well blind. The, the address was correct. And said he works in a, um, a business block, and they would have had a receptionist, and there's no way it wasn't collected. Um, so I said, "Oh, you send it to me." So he tried sending it off. Uh, there was the um, postal people read it wrong, and wanted to charge me a fair bit of money in tax and postage to have my own camera back 
which I thought was disgusting. Mm-hmm. So it actually came to my front door. We refused it because what they wanted to charge cost more than what the camera was worth. Uh-huh. So then it went back to LA. I, I appealed to our um, tax people and, that, and I, I had no evidence of when I bought the camera. So I couldn't prove it was worthless and that there was nothing in in, in the box because I didn't have photos. So I just I, I just literally wrote it off, hoped it came back to Paul in LA. He then uh, is an extremely busy guy. So two months later, he got the negatives processed. I've got the photos. And um, he said, I don't think I can afford to send the camera again because that's like, that'd be his third go. Oh, man. So what's and what's even more interesting now, he's actually dropping into the UK next month. So not only am I going to get to meet him, but hopefully I will get the notebook, not the camera, the notebook. I don't care about the camera. That, that's fine. That's just a piece of metal. But it'd be nice to get the notebook like you well put in. So I'm looking forward to that. That's funny. Did it, Does he have the film? Yeah, yeah, so he's got the film, and I said, look, just use the camera. I'd like you to, you know, go back to film, because he's been shooting a long time as well. Is he going to bring the film with him? Um, He's going to try bringing both, um, but he's actually going on a trip around Africa, so he's going to be restricted. We might not get anything, but at the end of the day, um, because he's coming across, I agreed to take a day off. And I'm going to meet him in the airport for a couple of hours. So he's just changing planes? That's right, yeah. Yeah, just in between, yes. It might be the only time I'll get to meet him. I forgot to ask one thing, speaking of film. is Are you doing your own processing? I have done. I, I learned how to do it last year with a friend at uni. Um, so at Christmas I got a colour set. So I processed... Yeah, yeah. So I processed about... 15 rolls um, between December and probably February, something like that. Never done that before. Um, And I was quite happy with them. Uh, But the biggest problem nowadays is getting a scan. To get a good scan, you need a high-end scanner, and that's just not within my budget. So what do you do? Are you just sending it off to a lab and then they scan it for you? Yeah, I found a reasonable price guy in this country and I've basically sent everything I've ever done through him in the past, including the first street photos, uh, weddings uh, and everything and consistent great results. So I'm, you know, I'm always going to use him. So when you get the digital files back, do you do any post-processing or you just use them as they are? I'm a massive fan of um, film for me is reality, but I might edit a little bit and maybe put a bit of colour back, saturate it a bit, but I'm not a great editor, so it's probably marginal what I do, to be honest. That's true. I mean, if you're going to trust the film itself for its own characteristics, uh, why not leave it the way it was? Yeah, because what I'm doing at the minute is uh, I'm actually shooting a little bit of architecture and... Um, writing it as an article for somebody. Um, and what I've done is shot two different films by Kodak. One that's a, basically a portrait film. It's great for skin tones. And then I've done another film which 
is typically used for landscapes because it's saturates lovely. And what what films are those? Uh, they are Kodak Ektar mm-hmm. and Kodak Portra. Uh, and I've done the same with portraiture for them as well. So I shot one lady in both Portra and Ektar. And the Ektar is really red. It's really good with reds and oranges. And she wore a red dress and it. Oh, it, it was beautiful. But obviously it gives the um, skin tones a little bit more orange. If you do black and white, are you using mainly the C41 films or are you still using silver? Yeah, I use silver. Um, I'm a massive advocate of trying everything, mate, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I assume that was going to be the case. <laughs> I I love trying different things. So I don't conform to everybody else. That, uh, but They get really good results because they do consistency. I'm more interested in trial because... Uh, you know, if I interview someone who makes film, I want to try his film. Or if um, I find something out there, I was like, mm, I might want to try that. And life's short, so try everything while I can. Well, if you could pick only one black and white film, what would it be? That's tough. I'd, I'd probably have to say Ilford's Delta mm-hmm. because it was the first film I ever shot. And it gives really nice blacks and whites. So there's a good bit of memory there for me, in a way. Yeah, that, you know, that's probably my favorite, too. Yeah. And I used to shoot that in college, which was a long time ago. Yeah, well, I've been going a long time, Ilford. And um, I don't shoot much Ilford, but uh, I really respect who they are and what they do, because obviously black and white is what they do. Um I do use their paper because obviously I've got my own dark room now as well. So, oh, so you're printing analog too? Yeah, I taught myself last year that. So uh, I did that uh, summer coming into winter last year. I think it was. I learned how to do it. So why do you bother with the scans then? Uh, it's I don't get the opportunity so much. Let's uh, see. The only thing being in the UK is weather. It's colder, so you. You really need some way of keeping your chemicals at a certain degree. You know, it's no fun standing in a cold, wet room by yourself with a torch. <laughs> That's how you do it, huh? Well, yeah, because I have no electricity or running water in the room. So I have to run an extension lead to plug everything in just to get me going. So it's quite interesting. But to be honest, um, you, know, you, you have to make do, you, you know. Whatever you've got is what you've got. So um, I take a beer in with me. I take my phone in. I'll put a podcast down in my back pocket so it doesn't illuminate too much. And, um, yeah, I sort of fiddled with that. And I've also done created black and white prints from colour. People say you can't do it and and they don't look good. But I've done it and I'm, I'm happy with them. So. And you're, you're inspiring everybody. Everyone's going to go out and buy film now. <laughs> That's my job. That's right. Well, you're doing a good job of it. Are you being paid by Kodak to say all this? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It'd be nice. Well, Andy, so what, what's next for you? What What are you working on next, if it's not a secret? No, um, I, I really wanted to do the secret project again uh, in the UK. Uh, what, I, what I originally was going to do was um, USA versus Europe. 
and just to see what the results would be like. But with the advent of these new scanners going in at airports, I'm actually a little bit worried about sending film off now. Oh, really? Will they fog the film? Uh, no, they'll kill it, basically. Really? Yeah, they've got some new... Um, they've got some new scanners. There's a, a blog article about it, and it, it's the equivalent of going through, like, 20,000 times or something. It's crazy how powerful they are. Can they hand inspect the film so they don't you don't have to put it through? Because I wouldn't be traveling with it, would I? So I don't know how it works. Yeah, because it used to be when everybody shot film and all the security stuff happened, um, mm. you would hand it to the the uh, security person and they would hand inspect it. You can do that, but there's no there's no actual law for them to have to do that. So I think it depends on how arrogant these review are in that sense. But, but you know, because what's happened in the past. I'm a bit reluctant about losing another camera and at the end of the day I get the hassle no one else does really. Except all the people that, that have to wait for you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I'm in the middle of a, another project at the minute, uh, a, a similar thing. Um, I've had a camera, uh, you know these one-shot ones where you literally the film's built inside it? Yeah, disposable. So... I've had a French guy uh, create me one with 72 exposures in. Uh, it's his film, um, his camera, and then I shoot first, and then I'm sending it off to about 20 people around mainly this country, some in France, and then he's got a friend in Paris who's going to uh, get developed. Again, I've done another twist for this one, so I've called it Retro 72, the difference with this one is I'm actually sending a tape recorder around with it and you have to speak into the tape. So you can't get any more retro than that, mate. So is it a like a cassette recorder? It is, yeah, a mini tape recorder. It's a good laugh. Do you have to dress in like 1970s clothes when you do this? <laughs> I, didn't, you know, I didn't think that. I should have put that, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. So that's, that's one project. Um... The next one I want to do is going to be a street project. So I want to send a film camera off to... My idea is maybe just to three cities in, in the UK with three people I know well enough and we'll each do something about our cities. You know, that, that that's just one. And so we were talking earlier that uh, what I really want to do is a magazine that supplements my podcast. So it's not going to be genre-specific. I want it to be um, about the people I interview. So it's going to be contain sort of bits of the interview itself and then um, give them time to showcase some of their pictures and then maybe have a few like guest articles or um, get a few people I respect to write a little column. I like that. And you're, you plan on printing it, right? I would want to, yeah. Uh, and obviously I've got to do this with no budget, so I've got to, I'm not sure how feasible it's going to be, but I've met people now, so I've got contacts here that I can discuss printing with now, so that's good. Printing is really expensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I don't mind if it's not massive. So, I, you know, it... it it's probably um, one of the 
dreams you have at this stage because I'm too busy writing articles at the minute and there's two I've promised to do and it's finding time at the minute. I've got a uh, I've got a wedding to shoot next month and that that'll take some time off away from because I'll have to be editing a bit so yeah, it's a lot. I mean, to do it right, any of this stuff is a lot of work. Like like we were saying that I like to do things myself and it's not because I'm a control freak in any way because I'm not. I, if anyone tells me they're good at something, so, you know, if I had a mate who's a plumber, I would literally trust him 100%. But I've not found them people yet that can put the hard work in to help in any way whatsoever. Well, maybe there's somebody out there that would like to help you out and they can reach out to you. Yeah, that'd be really cool because originally I had the idea of um, getting a co-host on with a podcast and I contemplated this young lad who won my competition earlier this year and the more I thought about it, the more I thought it detracts away from it being about me and my show and my relationship with him and my journey. So I think I'm going to just keep that to myself. But then things like the magazine, you know, it, it could be nice to have an outside influence because I am not that creative when it comes to design, you see. So. Yeah, it really helps to have somebody else's opinion on the photographs. Yes, you know, Ashley, who edited, edits our magazine, and she's yeah. just a huge help. She has different tastes than I do. She has great taste. <laughs> and, you know, why should it always be about my taste? It's nice to have other people choose as well. Yeah, and she was lovely, you know, when I sent my article in. That was, it was nice that you can have that mutual respect for each other. I, I really like that. Yep. We've been lucky here. Yeah, that, that's good. I mean, you know, I, I really respect the magazine. I think you've done a cracking job with it. And you keep finding these like, absolute legends. And, you know, when, when you asked me to come on, I was thinking, but these people are amazing. <laughs> Everybody's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has a story to tell. Yeah, I think you forget that sometimes. And we, Yeah, we all do. When I've listened to these people, obviously I've checked some of them out, and I, you know, really do rate what they've done. And you know, you look back at your own photos, and you're like, mm, I could probably delete ninety percent now. But you know, you have to make those mistakes early on with anything. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I think one of the things I've learned is composition is more important than anything else. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I know. I saw um, Matt Jones posting a few about. Um, he'd done slow shutter and to be honest I just think if you've got the right photo anyway it it, it doesn't matter I, I think some shots it's different without a doubt and you know I, I'm looking back at now at a couple of photos I've done and I'm thinking do you know I really love some of them and I, I don't know if other people do there was one where um, I'd gone to Derby with uh, a good friend of mine and I was like, God, I was really excited because I was in another city. So, um, like, the street side of my sort of shooting and my brain took over, and I was excited just to go shoot stuff. So I walked up to this guy who sat in a taxi waiting, 
and I framed it round the edge of the front door or the front window of the car and he's just sat looking right into me and he's got this really stern look but what poor people don't know is as I took that just before I took it I stuck a thumbs up and he smiled at me but you got the stern look yeah um so people didn't know that he was actually you know happy <laughs> and it wasn't a posed shot he was still a candid shot but because I tell you one thing I've really, really struggled with is what's what's the right word for it? I've got really afraid now of just shooting candid. I think it's done something to my confidence. Have you suffered with that? Well, then it's time to do more of it. Yeah, I think think the the reason is because I don't do it often enough. When I do go out, I'm revved up, and then as soon as I get in front of someone. It's quite hard because, obviously, we've talked about this before where um, we're in small places. Yeah. We're the only person with a camera. And if you want to shoot close, you're pretty much, you know, they're going to know you're there. Yeah, it's not like you're in London. Exactly, mate. Yeah, it's, you know, you know it's dead that easy. When I see people like Sarah and um, one of the names I'll drop for you is uh, Dominique in New York. She literally can shoot 10, 20 photos a day. And she has such amazing people. And I'm just like, that's probably two years worth of shooting for me. It's it, it's, it's amazing. Um, but then the odd time you get a nice shot, and the one I'm really proud of is um, it was a planned, it was a planned shot where I was waiting for the humidity to hit a cafe, hmm. uh, I think it was a Costa or a Costa-type chain. And because it's really open window, I can literally stand six inches away from somebody and take an inside shot sort of thing through the glass. And because it had steamed up, um, the steam had started going away, so it turned into um, like a really fuzzy sort of thing, like a bit like fog or shooting through a car window when it's been hot. Mm-hmm. And you had a total clarity of colour, but obviously they looked like they were out of focus because it was like this mist. And I shot that on purpose, and I'm so proud because obviously I shot it on medium format, didn't meter, and the colours are just stunning what came out. And it was all based on a photographer from london who did this amazing book um called on the night bus uh nick turpin it's called uh so it's it's street but it's um he basically shot people on public transport at night yeah i've seen so, it yeah you have yeah but but what most people don't know is he shot from about 30 yards away with a tripod so he was using like a 300 mil lens. So it was a very alternative way of doing it because you know I don't think he wanted to be in the public's way. No one would notice him being there because he's so far away. Yeah. And obviously my take is I did it from within a foot with my eyes, and I quite like that because to me it's like that's what the street is. You know, I am actually on that street with that person, and I think every. Exposure. I think I took two exposures, and, and they were both perfect. And um, I think the only other one I was proud of was 
I was telling a friend about you can use a film camera and the shutter speed is so meaningless um, high end. So you 1,000, 2,000, 8,000 are so not needed. And I said the maximum on my Bronica is um, 1,500. And I said, I'll to prove you an example on how I've got used to my camera, there's a train that goes right through the middle of our city. And we quite often have to stand and wait for ages. And my idea was I'm going to shoot through the moving train to a person on the other side of the barrier. Now, the train's probably only 10 mile an hour. I took two frames and both shots, I got the person. And that's dead hard to do, mate, because I went out with a wedding photographer with a digital camera, very high end, shooting at, I don't know, one four thousand, clicking like mad, and he got didn't get one shot of the person. Even at 10 miles an hour? Yeah. It's because he's a wedding photographer. He's not used to movement in that sense. I would say it's like out of their comfort zone, isn't it? It's a very different thing for him. So, yeah, I was really proud of that. It's not an amazing photo because um, it was coming towards um, evening, so I was losing a bit of light and ended up, I can't change my ISO, mate. Happy accidents are always good, too. But that was tr that was pure skill on your part, though. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I would say luck. Well, Andy, so we're coming to the end of our time here. Sure. But before we go, I wonder if you could tell everybody where they can find you online. Um, the best place to check me out is vlogger.co.uk. So that's P-H-L-O-G-G-E-R. And for anyone wondering... It's basically photo blogger. I just shortened it years ago. So, vlogger.kk, uh, you'll see all my articles are right. Sometimes I write for other people. Yeah, every episode of my podcast's on there. And there's some of my galleries in there as well. So, it's quite comprehensive now. Yeah, it's a pretty big site. Done a nice job with it. No, thank you, mate. It's, you know, I spend a lot of time on it. I'm an advocate of um, I can't stand adverts. Um, I've not, I'm not sponsored. I, I'm one of the few people that don't have annoying adverts, and I think that's a big thing for me. It's uh, it's a real plus. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and you know, I spend a lot of time on it. Like I say, when I I changed it over recently, I spent time on checking the rankings of the speed and things like that. So. Um, it's important to me.